Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. And everyone said, amen. And everyone said, amen. Amen and amen. Hey, I'm Ryan. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, let's make that happen today, please. Christmas, Christmas time. We say it's the most wonderful time of the year, but I think for a lot of us, we'd also say it's the most stressful time of the year. I was talking to someone the other day who doesn't go to church, and they said, you know, I think Christmas is so stressful because everything that makes Christmas Christmas is what makes Christmas stressful. And I'm like, whoa, how far off the mark is that? Have we gotten to that spot? Everything that makes Christmas Christmas is what brings us joy. It's all that other junk that we added on that makes it so stressful. As our culture looks, I mean, as our culture develops, like we are just missing the mark. For the culture that needs Christmas the most, we are so far off the mark on what it actually means. And if we held that in our hearts, if we understood that's the reason for everything we do this season, man, that should fill us with joy, not stress. But I wonder how prone are you to fall into the holiday celebration rather than the birth of Christ celebration? Let's look at our culture at large for a moment and let's just see how you fare, how you compare with how everyone else kind of approaches Christmas. Let's just have a little Christmas quiz, see how you line up. First question for you here is how many people does the average Christmas shopper buy for? Five to seven, eight to nine, ten plus. Five to seven, eight to nine, ten plus. What do you guys think? Think about yourself. Think about yourself. See, see, see. You Midwest, you Midwest moms would say that. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually B. B. On average, people shop for about eight to nine people. All right, here's one for you. This is a Fun, culturally appropriate question. Who gives more gifts, men or women? <laughs> yeah, yeah, who spends more? Men or women, who gives more gifts? Men? men? Women. Ah, you'd be right, women, women. Okay, all right. Here's a true or false for you, true or false. People are more likely to buy gifts for their pets than their friends. You guys seem pretty convinced of this. Okay. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The people they, they polled said it was like, 50, it was like a 50% chance they'd buy for their friends and closer to 60% chance they're getting something for their pets. We, we're lost, people. Our culture is gone. All right, here's, here's one for you. First service uh, botched this one. I'm curious what you guys think. Which generation buys the fewest gifts for others? Baby boomers, Gen X, represent, or everyone's favorite generation, the millennials? Who buys the fewest gifts for others? It's the boomers. The most wise, financially stable people among us by the fewest gifts. Tisk, tisk, tisk. 
Or maybe that's why they're most, the most financially stable. I don't know. All right, last question. Last question. Which area of our country buys gifts for the most amount of people? East Coast, West Coast, the South, or the Midwest? Who buys the gifts for the most amount of people? Chapel, make sure you're so- shouting your answers. C, the South, I heard. What? It's us. It's us here in the Midwest. We Midwesterners, we're the nicest people in the country, and it shows. You know, we are, we are also among the most religious people in the country, and yet we still fall prey to the Christmas blues just like everyone else. We get just as stressed as anyone else. And even as we think about celebrating Christmas, and we do this more than most, for so many of us, we lose sight of Christmas. And we do just as fast as everyone else in the country. And in order for us to keep Christmas in its rightful place, we need to look back on what Christmas first was. And that's why this Christmas we're having a vintage Christmas. We're looking back so that we might see the old be made new. And so what we're doing in this sermon series, if you're just joining us, is we're looking at the Christmas prophecies throughout Scripture. All those times that Scripture foretells, points towards the birth of Christ. And we're seeing how these old prophecies, even though they are fulfilled, how they still speak to us. How the old is made new as we have a vintage Christmas. And the Christmas prophecy that we're looking at today is not just one of the most popular Christmas prophecies. It's one of the most popular prophecies of the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Micah chapter 5 as we look at the prophecy that was given to, through the prophet Micah. If you're using the Bibles we provided, that's on page 989. Now, this prophecy is one that foretells what we all know now, the gig is up, this is talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. So hopefully you were with us last week as we looked at Isaiah's prophecy, because Isaiah's prophecy was given around, 7, around 720, 730 BC, and this prophecy was given not long after that. Because actually Isaiah and Micah are contemporaries. They lived at the same time. Just a quick, quick reminder, at this point in, in redemptive history, God's kingdom is split between two kingdoms. It's known as the time of the divided kingdom, between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, Israel, with its capital, Samaria, and the southern kingdom, Judah, with its capital, anyone remember? Jerusalem. Each kingdom had its own separate kings and its own respective prophets. And at this time, the southern kingdom, Judah, again, whose capital is Jerusalem, the prophets during this time were Isaiah and Micah. They lived at the same time, both giving prophecies, the words of God, to the king and to the people of Judah. The king of Judah at this point was King Ahaz. He was a very wicked dude. This is around 720 BC. On the world stage, Assyria is the superpower. Assyria's capital is Nineveh, which by the, which by the way is located today in modern day Iraq. Assyria led by Nineveh, is making its way to dominate everything. But at this point, and this is prophecy, it's, it's a little hard to, dis, to, to discern at certain points, but basically what we believe is happening at this point is, is that time when, the, when Assyria is attacking the northern kingdom of Israel, 
And King Ahaz and the southern kingdom, they're looking at this happening and they're extremely anxious because they know that they are next. The, stre- the, the attack is happening. And let me just say this. The stress that we place on ourselves at Christmas time is nothing compared to the stress that this king and this nation felt as they saw their neighbors being invaded by the world's superpower and they had every reason to believe that they were next. What we, what we need to understand and also at this moment is that both kingdoms were wicked. Both kingdoms were not pursuing God. The north and the south were very unfaithful nations being led by very unfaithful kings. They were kingdoms and they were people not living for God. They were more concerned with their own selfish lives and their own pursuits rather than living for God. Hmm, I wonder, do you know a culture like that? And here's what we need to understand about this is that anytime we move away from God's design, anytime we go off God's path, that only leads to destruction. That never leads somewhere good. It may feel like a pleasurable path, but you're heading for hell. And the prophets were were raised up at times to call kings and people back to God's plan because that's what's good and that's what's right and that's what leads to human flourishing. But people choose themselves and their own hearts and they choose the ways of the world. And what's happening in this passage is that the southern kingdom, listen to me, they were choosing the ways of the world and so it was the world they were going to get in the form of Assyria. The nation to the north was being destroyed. And God raises up Micah to come and tell the king, tell Jerusalem, tell the people, get ready because it looks like you're next. And it's in this moment that Micah warns both of what's before them, but also gives them hope of what, about what can happen in them. And so with that, would you hear the word of the Lord? Micah chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. This is God's word. Let's pray. And we'll continue. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You're so good to us, even when we don't deserve it. Father, I would pray that the people who can hear my voice right now, they're not just listening to, to this prayer. Father, I pray that they're making this also their prayer. Lord, as we approach Christmas, Lord, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. And as we do, we are reminded of how humbly he came into this world. Lord, I would pray that today that we are reminded that it is not the powerful that rule the world. It's not the cultural machine of America that commands our destiny. It's you, our humble king, who is more powerful than anything else. 
Lord, we are asking here and now that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you inspired these words. Would you be with us now that we would be able to hear and receive the good news that you have for us today? And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And everyone said, amen, amen. So again, in a world that fails so miserably at knowing what Christmas truly means, while also simultaneously being so desperate for the true meaning of Christmas, it's time for us When I say us, I mean those who call on the name of Jesus. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, number one, thank you so much for being here. I pray that you have the ears to hear something of value for you here this morning, for you here this morning. But if you are a Christian, it is time for us to put a stake in the ground and start making some declarations. And as we examine this passage and the context from which it was spoken to us who hear it now, here's what I think is important for us to hear from this passage in this moment. Christmas declares there is always hope. Christmas declares that there is always hope. Whether it's a nation facing invasion, whether it's a people like us uncertain about our future, or whether it's us individually who are facing dark times personally, or maybe it's just those who are in the throes of holiday depression, Christmas declares there is always, there is always hope. And as we learn about this hope today, we're going to spend some time in our passage. And I want to pull out three ideas for you here this morning. Here's those three ideas ahead of time. First thing, bad circumstances do not mean we have an unfaithful God. Second thing we're going to see is that immediate troubles do not mean we don't have a future glory. And third thing we're going to see from our passage is that deep despair does not mean we can't have peace again. I wonder, how many atheists do you know? Not just know about, but how many atheists do you personally know? I know quite a few. And I'd say that one of the biggest misunderstandings that lead people to not believe in God, to disbelief in God, is known as the Epicurean paradox. Now, whether or not you know that term, you've heard this argument before. It's a form of the problem of evil. I'm sure you've heard this before or something like this. It goes like this. God is said to be all-powerful and all-loving, but yet there is evil in the world. And so because of that, it's likely there's not a God because if God were able, if God were unable to prevent evil, then he's not all-powerful. If God is not willing to prevent evil, then he is not all-good or all-loving. Therefore, God cannot be all-loving and all-powerful with the existence of evil. Therefore, God does not exist. Now, that's a very like hyphenated, short, condensed form of what can be a very nuanced argument. But you get the idea. I'm sure you do. Even brilliant minds like Neil deGrasse Tyson have cited this paradox for his lack of belief in a creator. He said that the more that he learns about the universe, the less he is convinced that something benevolent is going on or is behind it all. And you cannot watch a YouTube or TikTok atheist very long before they cite this argument. And yet, and yet, the tension of there being evil in the world and yet an all-powerful and all-loving God, that's not a tension the Bible shies away from. The Bible speaks directly to it. And it's because the problem of evil is not with God, it's with us. 
God has given us a moral standard of what right and wrong is. We know what evil is because God has told us what is right and what is wrong. But God has also given us a free mind to make choices in our life. Now, I'll be the first to say that that mind is now corrupted by sin and only continues to choose sin. But God has told us that when we choose what is wrong, the result is evil. And the result is brokenness and dissension and everything, all, everything else bad that you see in this world. And our passage today is given to a context of people who are only choosing poorly. They're choosing bad. They're choosing themselves. They're not choosing God. And so the first thing that our passage shows us in the midst of this is that bad circumstances do not mean we have an unfaithful God. Now, the southern kingdom, the people of Judah, to whom this prophecy was given, again, they were choosing the ways of the world. They were not choosing the ways of God. And because God doesn't create robots, but people made in his own image with our own minds, we have choices. And let me tell you something that your parents should have told you. Your choices have consequences. And so you should only make choices of which consequences you want to have in your life. Now, I know this seems like no duh to people in this room, but to a culture at large, that's not a given. Our choices have consequences, and those consequences are what we have to deal with in our life. These people were not listening to God. They were not choosing the ways of God. They were choosing the ways of the world, and so it was the world they would get. And that's terrifying, Because the world is evil and broken, and so destruction is the result of their choices. And destruction was coming in the form of Assyria. And the southern kingdom was was watching it happen to the northern kingdom. Verse 1, Micah says to Jerusalem, Muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel. Basically what Micah is saying is get ready. You wanted this, you chose this. Get ready. Assyria is destroying your neighbors and so you better get ready. You all need to get ready cuz it's not looking good. You troops, you daughter of troops. That was a prophetic way of saying everybody in the big city of Jerusalem, every soldier, every person, you all better get ready cuz it is coming. And yet and yet in the midst of this God gives them a hope that they do not deserve. God then turns and points to something small. In this world of big superpower, big invasion, big problems, God turns and points to something very small. And it's in this small thing where ultimate victory will come. Go to verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. It was a very small city, very small town. From you shall come forth for me, God says, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient of days. God is saying it's not the might of big cities that will save you. God says it's my plan to bring about the most humble to lead the kingdom. And not just small. Like, I don't think we have an understanding of this. This is Bethlehem small. This is like... This place doesn't even have a four-way stop type small. This is a tiny, tiny place. Like, God might as well have said he was going to bring the Redeemer from Freeport. (laughs) 
Because God brings, because God was going to bring something so small to do something so good, it only could be God. We need to remember that bad circumstances do not mean we have an unfaithful God. When God would have been justified in letting them be destroyed because of their own choices, our faithful God still gives them hope. Because even small hope is still hope. Our bad circumstances are typically the result of our own choices, but not always. And even in those bad circumstances, one of the, one of the most profound things about facing troubles in life is that's often when we see the faithfulness of God the most clear. Which leads to number two. Immediate troubles do not mean we don't have a future glory. Verse three goes on to say, Therefore God shall give them up the kingdom until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Because we're talking about a baby being born in a very small town. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. God is saying the kingdom is going to be decimated. But this ruler that's going to be risen up, it's going to be raised up, is going to do great things. He's going to bring restoration. And so what God is saying here is that, yes, the northern kingdom being invaded during this prophecy, a result of their own choices, this destruction won't be forever. The promised ruler will be born, bringing restoration. And listen to the picture of this redeemer. Listen to this. Verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. All caps, Lord. Standing in place for the word Yahweh, meaning God's divine personal name. Not just any God, but the God of heaven and earth. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. People, Read the words in your Bible. When you read the Bible, read the words in your Bible. He shall stand and what? Shepherd his flock. I'm telling you people, I am telling you now, this is what you want. This is the type of leader you want. A shepherd. Not a ruler to be like a dictator or a prime minister or a president. Jesus is the shepherd of his people, tender and caring, yet protective, providing security. This is the one who was to come. And even though these people most certainly were going to face immediate troubles, their future was glorious. And it's because of Jesus. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. You see, this prophecy paints a picture of future glory and future security where this ruler is not just great, he is global. The other day, I, uh, I listened to a song that I hadn't listened to in 20 years, I, I guessed. And when I listened to this song, a song I hadn't listened to in 20 years, I listened to it with 20 more years of life experience from when I first heard it. This is a song I remember as a teenager in my car, like singing along with. It's lyrics I still knew in my heart. And yet when I listen to the song again, now 20 years later, I, I, I read lyrics again that were, it was like I was reading them for the first time. And there were lyrics that spoke to me. And I'm going to tell you now, they were lyrics that I look back and I wish I had remembered throughout this last 20 years because they're lyrics and there were words that I needed to hear and needed, needed to have known. And yet I already heard them. I had them memorized. I sang them. But I didn't like 
keep them away. And when times came in my life where I, I, I needed those songs, I, I needed those lyrics, I didn't have it. I didn't have it in my heart. And here's what I want to say to you. Like, I wonder how much, how many times we have heard things that have so much meaning, but we didn't have the ears to hear at the time. Now, let me just say real quick, if you want to know what song that is, you can connect with me on social media later. I'll I'll share it with you. But here's what I want to say. For some of you, there's things that are being said in our passage. There's things that I'm saying to you right now, things that you need to hear. Things that one day you will need to know. You may be thinking right now, things are great. It's Christmas time. But I'm telling you now, the things I'm saying to you, there's going to be times in your life, dark times, where you're going to need something to rely on. And if you don't have God's word hidden in your heart, I wonder how you're going to face those times. And we're talking about things now. We're saying things now that I hope you have the ears to hear that there is always hope. That Christmas declares there's always hope, no matter what tomorrow brings, no matter what the rest of the day brings. I pray that you have the ears to hear and put it in your heart that Jesus' birth declares to the world there is always hope. Let me say this again. This prophecy paints a picture of glory and security where this prophesied ruler, Jesus Christ, is not just great, but global. And here's the important point of this. Did you know that in order to take care of your personal and immediate troubles that God provides an eternal global answer? Your troubles do not outweigh God. Whatever you are facing, God is bigger than your troubles. That's how much you can trust God. That yes, life may sting for a time. And while we may have great troubles, we have an even greater God who declares there is always hope. This brings us to our third notion here this morning. Deep despair does not mean we can't have peace again. Unlike Micah, I am not a prophet. I don't know the future. But I can look back and see a trajectory. And as I look at the trajectory of our culture, I just will be honest with you, not a fan of where I see it going. And I don't see things getting better unless the trajectory changes. And hear me on this. The trajectory will only change if the factors change. And Christians are the factor. The church, the gathering of God's people are the factor that can change the trajectory. Nothing else. Nothing else. We are the ones who stand in the gap. And if you're not, if you call the name, if you call the name of the Christ and you're not willing to stand in the gap, then you can't complain when the world continues to get worse and worse. God has given his people the power to make the change. God has given his people, every single individual Christian, a gift to be used to see the church get stronger so that God's will can continue to happen. And so church, here's what I'm going to say to you. As we go into 2023, I'm going to give us a challenge. Faith needs to be first. To the cost of other commitments in your life. 
You hear what I'm saying? You can't just like say, yo, faith will come first. No, no, no. I'm saying like faith needs to come first and then other things need to be either moved out of the way or canceled in your life. It's time for Christians to take the place we are always meant to take. We should be the cultural leaders. We should be the most benevolent. We should be the most gracious and giving and the ones who are most clear on truth. And this is going to only happen if Christians put faith first. That means something else needs to move in your life. So church, here's what I'm going to say to you. As we look to 2023, look hard at your time and your finances and make sure that faith is first. The church will either get weaker or get stronger. Um, the church will, re- will remain, but the church will either get weaker or stronger, and it all depends on what you decide to do. So here's the challenge. I'm not saying perfect attendance to church results in your salvation. That's, that's according to Jesus. But let's make church attendance and gathering a more of a priority. Look at your finances and make sure that you are a generous, giving person who reflects a generous, giving God. Don't let someone else do your part giving on your behalf. You consider how much God's called you to give. Pray like Jesus is coming back today. Church, this is the time. This next year is the time. The trajectory will either continue or it will change, and it all depends on what you decide to do next year. Because God will use your faith for great, great things. Even if you are in the throes of the darkness of your life, whether due to your own bad decisions, those close to you, or just the ways of the world, I pray that this passage reminds you that deep despair does not mean we cannot have peace again. Either in this life or the next, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. We can have peace because this is what Christmas declares, that there's always hope. I love this last line we're going to look at. And he shall be their peace. I said it before, I'm going to say it again. Read the words of the Bible. Read the words that are written there. And he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Doesn't say he's going to offer peace. Doesn't say he's going to extend peace. Doesn't say he's going to supply peace. It says he shall be their peace. If you don't have Jesus, then you don't have peace. Because Jesus is our peace. Even when destruction comes, even when it seems like our lives or our bodies are falling apart, deep despair does not mean we can't have peace again. So let's bring this full story, full circle. What, what ended up happening to the northern and southern kingdom? What happened to Judah, Jerusalem, and Assyria? Well, part of me says, go read your Bible. But I know I probably get annoyed by that, so let me just say this. If you want to know the end of the story, go read your Bible. I'll give you a part of the story. How about that? Israel, the northern kingdom, is completely destroyed by Assyria in 722 B.C. Not long after that, the king of the southern kingdom, King Ahaz, dies. And his son, the righteous and good king Hezekiah, takes the throne in Judah. Now, Ahaz was wicked. I mean, like, very wicked. Sacrificed his own son level wicked. But Hezekiah is faithful. And so when Assyria certainly does come to attack the southern kingdom of Judah, what happens is that the prophet Isaiah and and King Hezekiah, they come together and they pray. They pray that God would save Judah. 
And so God sends an archangel who destroys the leaders of the Assyrian army. And the Bible says that when the Assyrian king saw this, it says that his heart melted. And he, became, he basically became like a coward and he withdrew his troops and they went back to Nineveh and they never attacked the southern kingdom again. And it's just another beautiful proof that, that God's, God holds his promises for those who walk in faith. And for those who do, we will see the fulfillment of those prophecies. Whether in this life or the next, we will have peace again. And so as we look at this, promise, this prophecy and we look at this promise of peace, it all hinges on one thing. The birth of Jesus. This, this child, this ruler to be born in Bethlehem, which brings us to the question, what child is this? What child is this? He is the humble one who was born in a manger in a no-name town. He is God's anointed who shall come forth for God. He is the ruler. He is the coming king who is from old, who was birth, who was foretold. He is ancient of days. He is the one who is eternal. He is God, yet he is the one who is with us, born of a woman. He is a shepherd, not a dictator. Listen to me. He is a caretaker of his people. And he comes in the name of God himself. He is the one to bring security in a world of uncertainty. He is to be great and global, for he is for the entire world. He is the one who not just gives us peace, but he himself is our peace. What child is this? This is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who shows us that God's promises are true. You may not feel it now, but there will be a time in your life where you need to remember this, that for those who are in faith, Jesus' birth is Christmas. And Christmas is the declaration that there is always hope. Merry Christmas, everyone. Amen. Amen.